Hello and good morning. It is great to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm sad that I wasn't here last week. For those of you who have youth, you know that there was a teen lock-in last Sunday, Saturday into Sunday night, and it was certainly kind of crazy, a little exhausting, but a ton of fun. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only sad to say that I just haven't. Both my soccer team and my dodgeball team at the teen lock-in lost. It was like, I, the, Lord, the Lord was with us, but He wasn't with us. And that's how it goes. So today, uh, I wanted to talk to us about a topic that I believe is going to be integral to us as a church going forward. There's a a, a theologian who wrote in the Harvard Review, he did a a review of the Apostle Paul and his theology of missions. And he tried to understand, well, how how does Paul view God's mission? How does Paul, you know, what does he understand it to be? What does it look like? How do we fulfill whatever God's mission is? And so he started thinking and and he looked through it and he came... To this incre- he came to this incredible conclusion, and he thought, "Well, what is it? Is it is it just got, is it about baptisms? Is it about us just being together? Or what is God's purpose? What is His mission for us?" And this is what we are going to be talking about today. So let's go to God in prayer, and we'll continue. Dad, I'm just so grateful that we can have an intimate relationship with you. Thank you that we can be one family, one church, that we're here to worship you, to honor you. Think about how many hearts are in this room just trying to know you on a deeper level, that just want to grow closer to you, that want to live righteously in a way that's separate from the world. We're so grateful for all that you do for us, all the ways that you care for us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Alright, so the answer that he came up with for what God really wanted was community. Now, if you notice, as, as Paul went from different town, from one town to another, he didn't just focus on preaching the word. He did preach the word. He didn't just focus on baptizing people. He did baptize people. But he focused on building a community of believers. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today: is community. Community. You know, community is essential to our survival as a church. And I think when you th- well, we're in a time right now where our nation is divided by race, political beliefs, economic standing, and it just seems like people can't get along. Right? This is a tumultuous time. And it's incredible to think that we as the church are the answer to that. And so the passage that we're going to look at today, I think we have to to understand the differences in the two cultures of this passage we're going to read in Acts chapter 6 in order to really appreciate what's happening here. Because in Acts 6 we run into the first major problem that comes up within the church. Now prior to this point, everything that's occurred has been persecution and it's happened outside. But as Jesus says, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And if we as a church cannot learn how to live as a community, we will not survive. 
we will not stand either. We are no longer a divided upper and lower Westchester kingdom. We are one kingdom together in Christ. You know, thankfully, the scriptures here in this passage, it provides us with kind of this idea of a merger of its own. And that merger is between the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews and the cultures and the differences between them. And later on, it'll happen again between the Gentiles and the Jewish people. But we'll look at the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews because we're both Christians as they were both Jews, right? It's a good way to go. And I think what we're going to end up doing is we're going to read the passage, then I'm going to give a little bit of a history lesson because without the history of kind of these two groups, it's kind of hard to appreciate what's going on. And then we'll make some applications as to what this means for you and I. And so it says in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, as my Bible loads, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so we need to go back about 200 years, between 100, about 150, 200 years, to understand how these groups formed, the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews. And they're sitting here, they're trying to, they're trying to form a community, they're trying to figure out how can they function together. Well, when they started forming, it was the time of Alexander the Great. You probably heard about him in your history class, high school, Yeah? Our high schoolers are just already. Hi, guys. Good to see you. So it's the time of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great set out on a mission. And his mission was, well, we are going to restore Greek culture to the world because he viewed it as, as this incredible, uh, beautiful, gorgeous culture. It was the high-class way of living, Greek morality, way of life. And this process, uh, is referred to, the, the Greekifying of things, is referred to as Hellenization. And it didn't mean, uh, in some ways, the Hellenization, the Greekifying of things, it didn't mean that you would destroy whatever culture was there, it would just mean that you would kind of blend it with the pre-existing culture. Now, for those of you who have read parts of the Old Testament, you know that that idea of Jewish culture changing or blending with everyone, anyone else 
may not have been received always the greatest way. God called the Jewish people to be a holy nation, a set-apart nation. But the idea of Hellenization was not necessarily a bad thing. Somebody could be a good Jew, in their thinking, and still learn about Greek culture and Greek ways. Now, during this time, this is just a, a side fact, but I think it's cool to know, uh, this, during this time period is where we get the, the Septuagint, which is the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So you see, many Jews started, they started talking about Jewish culture in a way that other nations would be able to understand, that people who spoke Greek would get. This is kind of cool how even 150 years prior to Jesus, God is setting the stage that the Gentiles would be able to understand God's Word and His message. Wow! God working 200, 150 years prior. So cool. And so if you wanted to function in this Hellenized, yeah, there we go, Hellenized society, you had to learn Greek, know it, and you had to know Greek way of life. And so, for example, if you were a farmer, you probably would not have cared. Your life would have been basically the same. But if you wanted to advance in culture, if you wanted to take a, a position of authority or be like go, being on the major trade deals, you had to learn Greek. That was the language of the world. And so, this is all good. And, and even though you could be a faithful Jew, that, that question started to pop up, which was, how far is too far? How much can we be like the world and still be a Jew? How much can you and I be like the world, but still have the identity of Christ? These are questions that they were wrestling with even before the time of Jesus. And so this is, this is, all, this is all good and well, and everything's kind of settling in, and there's, there's not that much argument that happens. And then this guy, Antiochus IV, takes power, or Antiochus Epiphanes. And he kind of views Jewish culture as a threat. Right? Because people today don't view Christianity or any Christian belief as a threat. Not at all in our society. And so he decides, well, you know what the best course of action is? Is we just, we all need to get along and we just need to, let, let, let's just, Let's just have one communal faith. One communal religion. You know, let's take the temple, and instead of it just being a temple dedicated to God, let's make it so anyone can go and worship there. That would be like us being here and someone of any faith saying, okay, we're here, we accept everyone. When we know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One. One way. Now that's not looked at as very, it's not looked very highly in our society, of course. And so what he does is he starts destroying copies of the Torah. He comes and he destroys, he destroys their Bibles. He searches them out. He outlaws circumcision. The major thing, could you imagine if it became illegal to baptize? 
What would we do as a church? And everything, everything became that common property. They would walk outside their house and there would be altars. That, you, it's like you would walk outside your house and someone would be sacrificing to a false god right outside your window. Right outside your door. And so what do we, they, they're sitting there, what do we do? How do we be a community? How do we be Christians in this type of society? Where even on our own television screens there are messages that we receive that are not even of Christ. When the world tells us one thing is acceptable, we know that God's Word says another. How do we live? How do we function as a community? And so the answer that these two groups came up with was very, very different. The Hebraic Jews, they, they decided, they placed a heavy emphasis on coming together and meeting at, and, and having worship in the temple. Just like some of us, we place heavy emphasis. You've got to be a church. You need to be here. On time. Every time. No missing. Legal, you know, very, just, that's the way that they acted. They spoke Hebrew because they thought, you know what, we're not going to go. We're not going to follow the ways of the world. We're going to keep our own language, our own culture, our own way of saying things, our lingo. And they wanted the Bible, in many ways, to be the law of the land. This is going to come into play when, uh, we're not going to talk about this, but the, Mac- the, Ju- the Mattahias and the Maccabees, and that whole time period. And then on the Hellenistic side, they said, you know what? Well, the temple, it's really not that important. Because God is all places. We can connect with Him. I don't just have to be at church to connect with God and to know God. And so there was a shift that started to happen with the Hellenistic Jews. And they were okay with the Greek government. They were okay with this separation, so to speak, of church and state and being governed by a law that wasn't God's law. And so you have these completely different philosophies, completely different ways of thinking, coming together, trying to worship as one family, as one church. All right, now that we have this back history, let's reread this passage, because it, gives us a, it, gave us, it should give us a lot to think about. says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Well, this was probably because, as we said before, the, the Hebraic Jews were at the temple and they distributed food at the temple. The Hellenistic Jews weren't necessarily there, so what happened to their widows? You're not seen, you're not thought of, you're not heard, their needs aren't met. It's unintentional. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn them, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. It's a tongue twister right there. A convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what did the apostles do? How did they deal with these cultural differences between these two groups? Did they just, hey, well, let's destroy all the things that are unique about one group and just say, okay, well, we're going to go with whatever the Hebraic Jews are doing. Or we're going to go with whatever the Hellenistic Jews are doing. We're going to go with all the things that Upper Westchester does or all the things that Lower Westchester does. Is that what they said? No. You know, this is incredible. Instead of trying to necessarily form and mold something to be one specific way, they recognized the unique things about each group and focused on how do we work together? How do the unique things about these groups complement one another? so that they can bring glory to God. You know, I think for us, yeah, as we come together, there's some things that are very different. Like, maybe the the worship songs that we've sung are a little different now that we're together. But there's some great things. You know, many of you who know or have been around for a little bit, you know that before I I was in Upper Westchester, I served in Lower Westchester. i got to tell you, I love the worship in the lower Westchester region. And I've been in Westchester for a while, and I love the worship in the upper Westchester region. And it's incredible to see that we have the strength of both groups together as one. There are some of us in here that are more on the reserve side, more on the conservative side. There are others who are just, well, let's push the boundaries. And you have very strong opinions about things. And you will make sure that every single person in here knows those opinions. You probably already pointed them out. We've only been together one week. Right? We know. We can see it. And so as they're coming together, learning how to function as this new community, it became a powerful testament to God and what He was trying to build, what He was trying to form. You know, I love being able to be in Bible studies and being able to look at the other people in, like there and say, wow, I would probably never hang out with this person if I didn't know them from church. I, we were in a, a Bible study this past week. And I just, as we were looking around the table, I was like, oh yeah, you know, there's some things we have in common with one of the guys. I'm like, hey, we both like soccer. The other guy, we both like music. Then I looked to to one of the other guys, who's one of my closest friends, and I thought, I don't even know what we have in common. Like, Jesus? That's it? Would we even get along? You know, I I just, I don't get it. How are we all supposed to function like this? And so what it took, what they did, was they said, you know what, here's this problem. We need to find seven faithful spiritual men. 
Right in their description it says, Men who are known to be full of the Spirit. What are you known for? When people think about you, when people meet you, what's their first impression of you? The people who have known you for a while, what is their impression of you? Now I think for me, if you've known me for a while, you'd know that, okay, I like puns. I like really bad puns. And then I like laughing at my own jokes, regardless of whether anyone else thinks that they're funny. I just am happy. Like, you know, if you tell a joke, you might as well get some enjoyment out of it. It doesn't always work. Right? Not everybody likes them. It's, it's, it's the way it goes. Some of you are known for, for just, you're very disciplined. You're very organized. You're always on time. Now, others of us, we're known by other things. We're known for our complaining, for being late, for being stubborn, and for being hard to get a hold of. There's, hey, you know, I mean, there's laughs, but it's a laugh because we know that it's true. How are we supposed to form a community if we can't even communicate? How are we supposed to be faithful disciples if we can't even, if we can't even come together to worship God? This is a huge need for us in the church. You know, I'd rather be known for faithfulness during trials. I'd rather be known for someone who takes the Word of God to heart and jealously pursues my relationship with Him. As someone known for being full of the Spirit of God who allows the Spirit to move me to action. That I don't always need to get my way. That I'm patient through challenges. And so we look and we see this problem happen and you look at those names that were listed there. Now there's a commonality between all the names that are given, those seven chosen men, besides being full of the Spirit, is that all of their names are Greek. And so the Hellenized Jews were the ones who complained and who solved the problem. They did. They did. We need to be a solution-oriented church. You know, when I think about these seven men, probably the thing that comes to mind the most is our small groups. Your small group is your faithful seven. You have been sent out. God has appointed you. We, if you want, we could come. But, you know, we could, I could place my hand on all of you. I don't think it'll do anything, but maybe it'll make you feel better. So that you know that God has chosen you for a mission. That God has chosen you to build this community. To reach our surrounding community. That's God's plan for you. Think about, what did these seven faithful disciples do? What if they had not done their job? What would have happened to the early church? Please. If two Jewish groups couldn't get together, if they could not live in harmony, what hope would there be for the Gentiles? If two groups of Christians can't fellowship, can't love one another, can't live in harmony with one another, what hope is there for the lost world? 
And so your small group, your faithful seven, have been charged with being a light. That's you. We have a lot of faith in you. I have a lot of faith in you. God has a tremendous amount of faith in you as a chosen member of the seven. You are the ones who are going to reach the different communities. You're going to reach New Rochelle, Mount Vernon. You're going to reach up to Poughkeepsie, the White Plains area. You are that community of hope and that community of life. You know, there was a study that was done and they, they, they looked at people who were, were faithful from the time they were teenagers uh, until very late in their life. And they tried to figure out what was it that kept these people in the faith. You know what they came up with? Now, there were many other factors, but one major one was that each of those people had at least six spiritual mentors in their life. Six people. Wow. Again, with the seven. You plus six others. And that's what helped them to stay faithful to God. We need one another. We need our community. And so what do we need to make this happen? Well, I think first, we need your eyes. Because there are many problems, and I don't know what it is. I, I just think I have a real nice smile, and, and I, I don't think I'm intimidating at all. But for some reason, people don't always feel comfortable talking to leadership. Right? I'm not intimidating, am I? I would be a little encouraged if I was. Just a tiny bit, right? Just a little bit. No, not at all. Kevin's like, no, not a chance, TJ. Because you are going to see problems that I won't. You are going to see problems that other people in your small group won't. And it's your... God is calling you. He's placed that vision in your, in, in your, in your heart so that you can do something about it. So that you can be a part of the solution. And so, that's your first calling. The second calling in this is we need your spirituality. We need to be a church that is known to be full of the Spirit. Disciples who are patient, solution-oriented, open to new ideas, and that we go back to the Scriptures. You know, it's not enough. We can't just say, well, I'll say it this way. We need to make sure that if we have a problem with something, it's because it's unbiblical and not because it's unfamiliar to us. And not because it's just different than we're used to. And I think that's one of the things that as I continue to, to, to study and learn more about God in different churches you know, throughout the world, I see, wow, there are, there's some things that are central that we're going to keep holding to, but there's a lot of diversity in the methodology, in the way that we do what we do. You know, we need to rely on the Spirit of God. Because this is the, our community, the community that we're talking about here. People with such differing views coming together can only happen through prayer and the Spirit's intervention. We need your love and service. You know, the apostles, they had a very important job. And their job was preaching the word 
and prayer. But there was an equally important job, and that was meeting the needs. And so they took, they took a responsibility that would have had tremendous consequences had it failed. And they turned it over to the disciples, to, their, to, to, the, to the other believers, and they said, we trust you with this. We know that you can do this. And so we need you to serve, to step up to the plate. Lastly, when we think of this word community, I almost want us to start thinking about it as a prayer. You know, last week Jim talked about unity, right? And when you think about unity, you can think of community as a prayer. Come, unity. God, let us come to unity in community. Because we need to be a group that the world looks at and sees, wow, I don't understand how they're able to function together. I don't get it. How do they have a group of people who are black and white, all nations, fellowshipping, serving, loving one another, moved by the Holy Spirit? There's no way that this can exist. How can congregations of two totally different cultures, but really they're not because it's centered on Jesus, how can they come together? Well, it must be the Spirit of God. It must be God. We must be united in Jesus. And I think that's really, as we're going forward as a church, what we want to do. We want to highlight the uniqueness of each of us as individual followers of Jesus, but at the same time work together to build up one community in Christ. Amen. You've just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nyc.co.uk.